Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. This is our first episode of 2023, and I'm so excited to bring you season four. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Maitland. Ryan is a strength coach with the Athlete Academy in Fruitland and in Berlin, Maryland, which if you're from the Salisbury area or the Eastern Shore of Maryland area, you're probably very familiar with this group. They do a phenomenal job training athletes and just building them up as more than just an athlete, but as a person as well. And that's something we really dive into today. We talk about Ryan's passion for coaching and helping develop what we call the complete athlete, someone who's not just a great athlete or a strong athlete, but who's also a great person and takes the lessons that they learn from sports and training and the works and applies them to life to make those around them better individuals and just have a positive impact overall. So this is a great episode and it's a great way to kick off the new year. So I know you guys are gonna enjoy this. And as we mentioned in the episode, make sure you check out athleteacademymd.com and give these guys a follow on Instagram to check out what they're doing. Enjoy the episode. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today, buddy. Thanks, I'm glad to be here. For people who aren't familiar with you, the Athlete Academy, and all of your you know, past stuff that you've done, would you mind filling them in a little bit about yourself? So I grew up in a small town in Maryland. I grew up playing sports, but like most strength coaches, um, you realize that you're a lot better at getting other athletes better and, and than you are at actually playing sports yourself. Um, so I learned very quickly, and I played lacrosse uh, in junior college. Uh, I went to Salisbury, and at Salisbury, they're, they're known for their lacrosse program, 12-time national champion. Um, and then I just realized that, hey, I'm not going to be able to make this team, so how can I continue uh, being in the world of sports? So I ended up interning at SU for two years while I was there. Um, after SU, I ended up interning, graduate assisting um, at a couple other places before I took a, a job in the private sector um, in Northern Virginia. And then... Uh, kind of COVID happened and it led me to uh, reconnect with my partner uh, at the Athlete Academy, Cody Rubble. Awesome, awesome. I love the backstory, Ryan. And um, it sounds like you've had a passion for athletics and just overall like development, I would say, from an early age from what you were just sharing. You said that you kind of dabbled in both the college side and the private sector side of strength and conditioning a little bit. How do they differ? Is there any difference between them? What was it like kind of navigating college versus private sector? So there was a huge difference. Um, the college, they both have their pros and cons, um, but I kind of look at it and I give, I give a lot of advice to a lot of aspiring strength coaches um, to make sure you do a little bit of both because you will see the differences. So. I did two years at SU um, where I was a volunteer, but when I volunteered, I probably did 25 to 30 hours a week in the weight room. Um, then I interned at University of Delaware, so two collegiate sectors um, where I got a lot of experience. And then when I came to time to graduate, I had another opportunity for what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was try the private sector out. And I looked at it as, hey, I could try this and I could love it, or I can go there and hate it. Right, so I didn't want to be like in a career for 20 years and then me try the private sector and be like, why didn't I do this all along? So it gave me an idea of like, hey, this is what I'm going to be able to do or this is what I want to do or not right off the bat. Um, so I went up to the private sector and you realize a lot of the similarities are the same. The, the holistic goal of getting athletes better prepared for sports is the same, but it's drastically different in how you do it. Private sector is a lot more about 
interpersonal relationships. It's a lot about getting to know people because at the end of the day, you're selling yourself. Whether you want to realize as a strength coach, even in the college sector, there's sales involved. You're selling your program. At the private sector, you're selling yourself. Even though I've never been a personal trainer, I've always worked under an umbrella. I've always worked for a company. Um, but you have to have that. The, the person chooses whether to renew coming to you or not. Um, where at the college sector, a lot of times like things are a little bit different now with the NIL stuff. They're pretty much locked into a place for at least two years because it's not easy to transfer where it's easy to end a membership. Right. Um, so I would say the private sector is a little bit more nuanced where I need to be, I need to cater like if you came to my program, Dan, I would need to cater to your goals exactly as like, I, I'd have to give a lot more of what you want rather than what I would want, which if you're good at what you're doing, you're, you know, you can kind of sway. I can, most of the time you come as a professional or you come to me as a professional so that way I, you know you're coming to me for my expertise where at the college setting I can literally do whatever I want because you are property of that program I will say the private sector you have if you're a true technician you have a lot more of an ability to dictate your programs you can do whatever you really want um, as long as that clients happy because there's no sport coach telling you exactly what they want and I would say you can there's a lot more earning potential and you can work way less hours. And at the college setting, it's almost like a cult in a way. And I know there's probably some college trend coaches that disagree with me, but um, unless you have the right job, if you work a ton of hours for a long period of time and you don't get paid that much. So for me, and I realized that I could work at a college trend coach for 10, 15 years and eventually get that job that I want, or some people get lucky or, or you know, I'm not gonna say lucky, they, they work their way into the right role um, where they can get that job, where they can work 50 hours a week, 50 hours a week as a college strength coach is an easy week. And I realized, you know, when I started coaching, I was a little bit later in life. So I was a GA at 26. I had to figure out myself for a little bit a couple years after high school. Uh, and I realized that while I love being a strength coach, I refuse to let it define who I was. And as a college strength coach, you have to almost let it define who you were. It's where I knew so many college strength coaches because the hours were so much the, not only the hours in terms of how long you were on the floor for, but the extremes you have to work where you're up at four o'clock in the morning and you're not going to bed until nine o'clock at night because of the crazy schedule of the colleges. I just said, you know, that's not worth it to me. I refuse to let being a, a strength coach define me. I love what I do. Um, what can I, where can I go and be able to use my abilities in their fullest um, potential, but also have another side to me? Because there was just burnout rate was unreal. Divorces, you know, I was like, how am I gonna have, a, how am I gonna get married? and have kids and have a house and maintain relationships with my friends, um, working 70 hours a week, making $30,000 a year. You know, I was like, at what point am I doing this because it's something I truly love or I'm doing it because I want to build an ego and I would put a logo on my chest. As you mentioned, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people face is burnout especially. And if you want the best for your athletes, it's kind of hard to, you know, give them the best possible experience every time you see them and be super positive and energetic and uh, optimistic about things when you yourself are physically exhausted. You're mm -hmm. probably not getting your own workouts in, at least in the capacity that yep. you would want. You're probably scramming, trying to find a time to just even eat food during your day because it's just an endless swarm of another team, another team, another team. And as you kind of mentioned, you're probably not in full control over the program in the college sector. I've never worked in the college sector myself. But I would imagine it's a lot of, you know, listening to coaches and trainers and making programs that 
kind of cater towards what they want to do. And then you yourself are probably a little bit more limited by the athlete's overall workload, especially as it comes to practice, right? You know, you're not going to be able to, you know, light someone up in the gym with a heavy squat day, for example, if they just had a 6 a.m. conditioning practice. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, from what you're uh, explaining based on your experience, you've been able to cater a lot more towards the individual athlete and develop them more, not just as a like physical athlete, but as a complete athlete in the private sector. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I think a little bit of backstory kind of about myself and my journey is incredibly important in this for allowing the listeners to kind of connect the pieces to why I'm so passionate about what I do. Um, because at the end of the day, for me, I'm not, I'm passionate about sports performance, for sure, don't get me wrong. But I'm really passionate about what really happens when you train for sports performance. And I, you know, I heard it on a podcast once, so I'm going to butcher the quote, but you know, and it's just so perfect what I try to do. It's like we're building um, great people disguised as sports performance training. So like all of the things that come out of a great training program that aren't getting better at your sport are so much more important than the sport itself. So going back a little backstory to help connect it a little bit, played lacrosse in college or high school um, was all I cared about. All I cared about was lacrosse. I was going through some personal stuff, parents' divorce, you know, typical high school stuff. You don't know how to handle any stress, any anxiety. Uh, ended up breaking my leg before my senior year of lacrosse. Played half the season on a broken leg. Gained a lot of weight from that season. Did not go the way I wanted. That's all I had. I graduated high school with a 2.1 GPA because I needed a 2.0 to play lacrosse. Um, so lacrosse was my identity, which goes back to what I was saying before. It's why I refuse to let anything become an identity for me because I know the pitfalls of that. Graduated high school, gained 40 pounds, had major shoulder surgery. First job, got a job at Taco Bell. You know, I was the guy, I was the fry cook. Um, and I remember being like depressed, you know, watching all my friends send me videos of them like moving into their dorm rooms because they cared about school, you know, and I, I was very short-sighted. Um, so I was overweight, I was depressed, got shoulder surgery, ended up getting fired from Taco Bell. because I just didn't care about the job. I, I was going to ask how I it happened. I didn't care about the job, and I realized to this day that I'm only good, like I'll only put effort into things that I really care about. And again, in high school, lacrosse was what I cared about. I was kind of in purgatory, life purgatory for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. you know, I that got fired. life crisis. Got fired from Taco Bell, what's going on with this guy? Um, ended up getting a job at a medical factory. So I got a job at a medical factory, um, in the town I grew up in, and I literally pressed a button for 10 hours a night. That was my job. They say they didn't pay me to do anything, they paid me to fight off boredom. Um, and I worked 4 p.m. to 2.30 in the morning. And where I grew up, there's nothing going on. So when I got off at 2.30 in the morning, there was nothing to do um, until Planet Fitness opened it in town. <laughs> and a guy I used to work with, you know, he took me under his wing, and he was like my first mentor. I look back at his programs now, and I'm like, I have no idea what I was doing. Uh, I have no idea, like, what I, you know, but at the time, like, his word was gospel. Um, so we'd go to the gym, and I'd go to Planet Fitness after 2.30 in the morning, um, four or five days a week, and I was consistent with it, and then I just kind of got on a roll, and I was running in the morning, and I was lifting at night, and uh, I went from 250 pounds to 180 pounds in about a six-month period. I completely, awesome. completely transformed myself. At one point, it dawned on me, and I remember this moment. Where I was like, you know, where, I, where the job I was at where I, in the town I'm from is considered a good job. I think at the time I was making like $12 an hour. I don't know what they're making now. But at the time that was like okay for an hourly wage for someone that just had a high school diploma. Um, 
and people, but I remember sitting there and I was very irresponsible with my money up to that point to where like, I didn't have any bad habits, but I remember I'd have like three or four checks sitting in my glove box. I just, I was living at home. I had no bills. Like I had no worries. Um, but I remember seeing my coworkers and they're living paycheck to paycheck. And I was just like, man, this might not be it. Mm-hmm. I got to figure something out. So I'll never forget like walking out of that room and calling my mom and being like, Hey mom, like I need to, I need to make a change here. I'm going to start going to school. So at that time, I, I put myself through school. I went to community college for two years. Um, ended up graduating community college with 3.8 GPA. That's awesome. Um, was able. So I started with an exercise science program, and I was going to be. I wanted to do physical therapy. 2.1 high school GPA. <laughs> I was going to be a doctor, <laughs> right? I did uh, one class, and I was like, man, I don't know if this is for me. So I got. I liked athletic training, so I was trying to study that. Ended up getting a chance to play lacrosse at our junior college program. So our, our, we had a startup program, had an opportunity to play lacrosse there, um, which was an awesome experience. But at that point, by the time I'm ready to play lacrosse, I was I was fully into this you know human performance world. I knew I wanted to do something to help people. I grew up. Mm-hmm. My mom was a, an ultrasound tech, so she was in the medical field. I knew I wanted to help people. Um, so I was all in on athletic training. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, I remember watching NFL games with my grandfather, telling my telling him that's what I'm gonna do one day, right? <laughs> so I was down to two programs. I was down to a school on the western coast of Mar- western shore of Maryland, I guess western shore, western side, mountain side of Maryland. <laughs> um, for those listening that don't know, Maryland's a very diverse state. It's called Little America. We got everything. <laughs> um, and I was down between a school in Baltimore City because both had four-year athletic training programs, and that's what I wanted to do. So I remember reaching out, emailing them. Uh, and the guy from Towson actually got back to me. I'm sorry, the guy at Frostburg, the school on the western side, got back to me. I said, hey, look, you can come here, but it's going to take you four years to get your bachelor's degree. Or you can go to Salisbury, which is on the, the eastern shore of Maryland, and you can get your master's degree in four years. You finish two years of your exercise science program. They were just starting a master's program. Two years, you can get your master's degree. So it's the same time frame. You can get your master's. Pretty uh, weird when someone from one college sells you on another program like yeah, that. Yeah, but I was all in on that school. So literally, it's like little things that just change the direction of your life. Yep. Um, so at that moment, I decided Salisbury is where I needed to go. The first day I stepped on campus was the day I signed the lease on my apartment and signed up for classes. I said, I didn't even tour. I was like, if this is what I want to do with my life, this is what I have to do. Um, and it was the, probably the best decision I ever made in my life. Because then I'm in... I'm in the, the student weight room on day one of classes. Again, I'm trying to be an athletic trainer, and I see this bald guy walking <laughs> around. And, uh, you know, I go up to him like, hey, man, I remember you from the website. Uh, he's the strength conditioning coach. And I was like, hey, do you have any shadowing opportunities? I just want to see what it's all about. Because, you know, I like lifting weights. I want to see what it's about. And he's like, hey, we actually have an internship meeting tomorrow at 6 a.m. He's like, if you have any interest, you can come. And uh, I was like, okay. I, sh- I showed up, and the rest is history. And uh, that guy turned out to be a national strength coach of the year. It's like, got rid of athletic training right <laughs> off that. I knew this is what I wanted to do. But I remember being in the weight room, and you know, I had a moment, of, a moment of clarity. And I'm training these athletes, and it's Division three, and it's a high level Division three, but it's Division three. And I'm seeing all these athletes. I mean, none of these guys are going pro, right? Especially like your female athlete. None, none of these athletes are going to go pro. Maybe some lacrosse players will go pro. Um, but you're like, okay, what is, the, what is the real benefit of this training? What's going to come out of it? And you realize that confidence is key with training. You know, Joe Ken says confidence is the only training variable that's guaranteed transfer over the field. And it cannot be even more true. Um, 
because I realized with all these things that you're doing with these athletes, when you're making them come in and push themselves every single day and do something that sucks every single day, and you know, in a, in a, in a world of instant gratification, it's something where you have to do it for a long period of time to get better, and the results are not instant. It's, it's a long period of consistent work. Um, these things transcend the sport. They go over to their relationships. You know, they're going to their, their confidence with their school, their tests. They go into the conference when they go and interview for jobs and they enter the real world, which is all these college kids are doing. And I realized for me that when I lost all that weight and decided to go through college, what really was the driving factor from that was doing all the training I did. That was really what set you know, the wheels in motion for me. Um, and I realized the biggest thing I got out of that was that confidence to put myself through these new things. And I thought, this is what I can give to these kids. I can't control whether a kid goes pro. I can't control whether a kid gets All-American, whether he even gets a varsity spot. What I can do is I can make a more physically capable kid who believes in himself more today than he did yesterday. Um, and that was really relevant even in the college setting. And I noticed it when I went to work with um, high school athletes. And I realized even the most popular kid in high school, think about your time in high school, has the worst self-esteem. Even, even the kids that are, you know, because you you're, all you're always worried about is judging other people, and all you're worried about is people judging you. Right. Um, and I realize that when I work with a high school, there's such a moldable population that you can make such an impact on them. To where, yeah, a kid walks in our doors, and I'm, yeah, I'm trying to get him better on his team. I'm trying to make him play varsity. I'm trying, I'm trying to get him a college scholarship. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to make him as fulfilled as he can possibly be. So that way, when he goes out and he likely steps out of the competitive sports um, sector of his life, section of his life, he uh, is as well-rounded as he can possibly be and ready for that. Yeah. First, Ryan, I really appreciate your transparency on the journey that you've been on in life. I mean, it's incredible to stop and think about where you were just 10 years ago even and where you are today. Mm -hmm. I mean, you probably didn't think this was possible 10 years ago. Uh, And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with so many different points is when it comes to athletics, there's a conversation that needs to be had that no one wants to have. And that's at some point it's going to end. Mm -hmm. eventually everyone retires right Brett Favre eventually hung up his cleats Tom Brady as old as he is will eventually hang up his cleats it ends at some point and you know are you ready for the transition from sports to life at that point and as you mentioned training is not just about physical benefits I'd be willing to bet that someone's you know barbell squat going from 225 to 230 is probably going to have minimal to no effect on their ability to play a sport like lacrosse or soccer However, the mental confidence that comes from being able to do more than you previously could and just get that 1% better every time you come in to the gym, that's the kind of stuff that sets your life in motion and that's the kind of stuff that takes you further. There's nothing quite like exercise and fitness in today's day and age. It is the last, uh, it's the last delayed gratification thing that we have. We live in a world where we can just go online and get likes and comments. We can message everyone instantly. We can order food instantly. Anything we want is here immediately. But when it comes to exercise and it comes to personal development in and outside of the gym, we have to work at that over and over and over again. And, you know, in that regard, I think that what you do here in the Athlete Academy is really the perfect analogy for life. You have to come in and you have to check Mm -hmm. your box day after day after day 
And, you know, sure, people might miss a day here or there, mm-hmm. but in the grand scheme of things, that's not going to matter as much as long as you're consistently showing up. You're consistently improving, and you're consistently making yourself a better person. I mean, at the end of the day, the barbell doesn't lie. You yep. come in here, and a 45-pound bar is always 45 pounds, no matter what anyone mm-hmm. says. It's the last tried-and-true thing in life, I would say. Exactly, yeah. I, training is a microcosm for life. It's where you have to come in and... All life is is about doing things that you don't want to do at that time. I mean, we have those decisions every single day where we look at our to-do list. I look at my to-do list. Yeah, there's things on there I want to do, but there's a lot of stuff I don't want to do. You know, I look at my training program. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I consider myself washed up at this point. I look at those squats, man. I'm like, I don't want to do those squats right now. I don't want to do this. Hey, I want to do those bicep curls at the end though, right? Um, but at the end of the day, if I can – do the things I don't want to do because I know the benefit that's going to come out on the other side. I'm going to be better off for it. And it's the same thing that comes uh, with life. You know, if you do those hard things that you don't want to do early, you're going to be able to reap the benefits later. So I, I think training is so important from that aspect. And then also, um, you know how it is when you're under a set. And, you know, being present is a superpower in today's day and age. You know, that's one thing I'm enjoying about this right now is it's a few chances in my life to where I'm sitting down and I'm having a face-to-face conversation with you. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not looking at my watch. Um, all I'm focused on right now is this conversation. If you can get moments like that, it is a superpower today's day and age. Mm-hmm. And you get these kids that come in and they train. And if you can force them to lock it in for an hour, you get under a challenging AMRAP squat that you, you're all you're thinking about is that next rep. And if you're thinking about your girlfriend down the street or you're thinking about that test going on, that weight's going to crush you. Because that weight, like you said, bar 45 pounds, 45 pounds, that bar does not care mm-hmm. about your feelings. So you got to put that aside and focus in on what you're doing. And then, hey, you either taught that person how to be present, even if for a brief moment, or it's a reflection point. And I'd be like, hey, Dan, what happened on that set? Well, I had this going. Hey, this is what we got to do to get better for that. And again, these are all things that, yeah, they're going to make you better for, for sport. But then when you have that job interview and you're not fidgety looking at your phone or you got that date, you know, you've seen it when you go, in a, when you go to a place and a guy's on the first date and they're looking at their phone checking sports scores. like, dude, what are you doing? You know, you, you hope to teach something like that to that kid, whether they realize it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always look at this job as like, you know, servant leadership gets tossed around a lot. Um, but it truly is like servant leadership in terms of where I'm here to serve that person. And I'm here to provide, be a catalyst in their life for something they'll never recognize. I feel like I'm one of the few people that realize that that guy who taught me that stuff is a huge influence on my life. But a lot of these people, they come to us because what do we sell? Sports performance. But when they walk out of our doors and they're done playing five years from now and hopefully you've helped instill life habits in them, they're not going to think about Ryan at the Athlete Academy <laughs> for why, you know, why they're doing so well in this. And again, I'm not taking responsibility. You know, these kids come in, they're motivated, they work hard. So I'm not saying any success they get in life is from, from us. But at the same time, like you will never get thanked for that. Yeah, they, they, they might make their, their varsity team. But guess what? They're probably going to make that varsity team anyway. But in, in five years, when they got that final for their class right before they're about to get their bachelor's degree, and they're locked in and they can focus and they know, hey, if I study now, it's going to pay off later. They're not thinking about us for that. But that's really where our role comes in. Establishing that flow state, I think they call it. And, I mean, you and I have talked about a number of different athletes that have just really mastered the ability to disconnect from everything, all the noise, and just focus on the present moment. 
and that flow state kind of um, state of mind, I'll say, is what sets apart great athletes from the best athletes. But you can say the same thing about executives. You can say the same things about doctors yep. or whatever. Is your ability to drown out all the noise, the negative comments on social media, whatever your rival said about you, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to set that aside and instead just focus on what you're doing right now in practice, right now in the game, yeah. right now in your training, right now in whatever walk of life you're in. That's what really sets you apart. And the other thing I like about that is there's a physiological component to it as well. When you start something, you usually get excited, right? Your heart rate comes up. When, you know, the soccer game, Argentina against um, France, the World Cup game just happened. And I can tell you right now, when that game kicked off, my heart rate on my Garmin spiked up. It, like, doubled. Kickoff is exciting. The start of something is exciting. And then what happens as you get going into it, you kind of settle into that flow state. You settle into, okay, I'm just going through the motions because it's natural. It's what I know. I don't have to think about it. I'm just doing it. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, things get exciting again. Well, just looking at your training programs, what happens? People come in. There's loud music. There's a big group. It's exciting. You get them fired up and warmed up real good. And then they start going through their program. They know the exercises, they've you know seen them demonstrated, they've probably done them before. It's the same as going through your game. And then at the end, what happens? Something like a sled push challenge like the other day. And all of a sudden we're ending with that exciting, exhausting state again. It's not just training that you know is going to benefit you physically or mentally, but it's also like the perfect mental energy wavelength for what we typically see in a sporting event or life in general anytime you start something new training the mind the mind is a very real um, variable when training you know a lot of people think you know hypertrophy they think strength power i'm like training the mind is just as important you know people look at certain mental tasks like you mentioned sleds before um where you have them do something hard like that and they'd be like, oh, well, this doesn't work in certain, you know, what conditioning, like work-rest ratio. And you're like, no, dude, sometimes you just got to have kids work hard to know that they can work hard and to know that they can push through suck. Because then when they get that fourth quarter of that game, then they, they can tap into that. Um, where if you don't train that, if you're mentally weak, you can't tap, you can't, you can't access that. And yeah, it might not be scientifically correct and look at the NSCA handbook, but... Anyone who's worked with athletes know the difference between a mentally soft athlete and a mentally strong athlete. And I'll take a mentally strong athlete who is less physically gifted than a mentally weak athlete any day of the week. Well, not to mention, I mean, take a sport like football, for example. You might be undersized against the person you're going up against. And, you know, if you're just looking at the physical in that moment of, hey, you know, I'm a sophomore on the football team. I'm 150 pounds at five foot ten. And I have to go up against this guy who's six foot one and two thirty. You might be thinking to yourself, "There's no way I'm going to win this battle, right?" It's like David looking at Goliath. And yet, you know, if you've been in the gym and you've been pushing a sled that weighs two hundred pounds, you're going to look at that moment and think, "Oh, this is no big deal. I've already done this before in a way." Um, so it's almost like not just again, not just physically preparing yourself for, for the moment, 
but proving to yourself mentally that you have the ability to accomplish the physical task in front of you through repetition in a training environment. And then kind of transitioning from that a little bit. So we've talked about the physical benefit and the mental benefit to training, but I also say that there's a, there should be a bigger emphasis on the social factors that come with training. Because when you come to a place like your gym here at the Athlete Academy, like it's never just one-on-one. That's not to say that one-on-one training is bad, but it's usually a group and it's usually a group of people who go to school together, play on the same team together. And I think that there's something to be said about a team environment when the whole team comes in and the whole team is working together and training together and practicing together that develops people a little bit more socially. Going back to what we talked about earlier about instant gratification, I mean, how often do you see people, you know, even a team, they might all go out and they just all sit there on their phones yeah. and they don't ever have a face-to-face conversation with each other. Whereas when you get them in here, they're going to have actual social interactions. Yep. They're not going to be sitting there on their iPads texting each other. Yeah, you're forcing like the interpersonal skills. You're forcing <laughs> them to interact with each other. You're forcing them to be supportive of each other. You're, support, you're forcing like a tribe-like mentality. Um, which is just we're very, very disconnected. Just with all the technology we have, you know, it's the greatest blessing in the world is the ability to, like, this would not be possible. What we're doing right now this podcast would not be possible right. without that technology. You know, I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this that would have no idea I exist. It's a true benefit, but at the same time, it's taken away from our ability to interact with what's in front of us. Like, you know, we talk about being present, but just being able to communicate with don't be so focused on everything else going on that we can't focus on what's in front of us, who's in front of us. And when you're playing a sport, um, that's pro- that's a huge X factor for a lot of teams is their ability to relate and their ability to be a team. Um, so being able to force that, you know, and we like I talked about before, like those social skills transcend the athletic field. You know, you, if you get better interpersonal skills and you can communicate with people better, how much more likely are you to hire someone in a job interview? How much more likely are you going to be a key part of a, a work project going forward? You know, so these little things that we can do now that we might disguise as, hey, we're getting you better uh, for your team, it's also getting you ready for every other aspect. 100%. And I mean, look at the cases in athletics, especially when miscommunication occurs, right? I think we can all think about, like, you know, sitting on the couch on a Sunday watching your favorite football team. And the quarterback calls the play, and you know the best wide receiver on the team runs a nine route instead of a seven route, and the ball gets thrown like 20 yards away from where they are. Mm-hmm. They just weren't on the same page. They didn't communicate, and even though they are some of the best athletes in the world, because they weren't on the same page, they just looked like airheads out there because you know he just threw the ball nowhere near anyone. Yeah. Um, so having the ability to get everyone in a collective state of mind, I would say, um, and working for the betterment of the entire team and also Mm -hmm. just being able to communicate on the uh, field during the game is definitely a lost art and something that I don't feel like is really given attention to a lot of times. Yeah. Um, I think we often, you know, look at the physical as like the end all be all and we miss the other 99% of what goes into being an athlete. Yeah. I think a lot of it, um, and this is a thought I've, I've literally just had at this moment, um, is team sports are as selfish now as they've ever been. To where with, you know, I hate to keep bringing it up, but like technology and stuff, um, there's such a focus on the individual. Um, to where recruiting, it's you're making your huddle, you're doing this, you're going to showcases to showcase you. 
um, that it can really take a back seat to the team sometimes. Um, so forcing people to kind of reflect on like what made, what made you love playing sports growing up? It was being part of the team, being a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, and really trying to reconnect with that, um, with those athletes, I think is, is really important to for, for, uh, force in those social interactions um, and reminding themselves that, you know, the sum is greater than its parts. Um, and, you know, there, it's a beautiful thing is being on a team and taking a back step and of getting away from that you, 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 you. You know, I think a lot of people play team sports and they think they're, they're on an island. They think they're by themselves because at the end of the day, you're still thinking about, hey, how will this play make my recruiting look? How will this play look for this? Um, and then they get even, you can even do that and you get to college and then all of a sudden you get to college, you're not playing for a scholarship anymore. You're playing, now you have to be part of the team. Mm -hmm. Are you prepared for that moment? You know? Right. And, you know, I talk as someone who's not been recruited in any capacity, but I would imagine that scouts who watch the game over and over and over again probably have a knack of picking out the athletes that play a little bit more selfish compared to the ones who are a little bit more selfless, mm -hmm. right? I think that they would have the ability to look at, you know, a certain athlete and say, okay, well, he's shooting, you know, 35 three-pointers a game. Sure, he made five three-pointers in a game and put up 20-some points as a, you know, high school basketball player, but he's taking all the shots. He's never passing. There's no assist. There's none of the team mentality. Yeah. Um, and you can probably speak to that better than I can because you're more immersed in the world of sports and you've been on the college side. But I would imagine that, you know, they see the ones who aren't there for the betterment of all around them. They only see – they see the ones that want the best for everyone, not just themselves. Yeah. Hopefully you get the right coach. <laughs> Hopefully you get the right coach that looks like that, looks at that. Unfortunately, uh, selfless plays don't normally make a, uh, a highlight tape. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say the other benefit to training that we haven't really talked about, but I see it in a, a lot of the athletes that you guys see here. You kind of mentioned it yourself with your own GPA. Uh, and even a number of the ones I see, they tell me their GPA and they tell me how they're doing in school. And I'm just blown away. Um, because like you, I was good student in high school, but I wasn't valedictorian did, did or anything. Did you say like me? I was a good student? I <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop there on that. But um, in general, I think that training and being a part of something not just makes you a better person mentally and socially, but I would say it also has benefit to the classroom, which is something I'm sure a lot of parents talk with you guys about is like, hey, you know, my son, my daughter, whoever has been training here for a few months and all of a sudden their GPA is a little bit higher or they're more disciplined in school or they're, you know, taking things a little bit more seriously. Yeah. And I mean, for you, you went from a 2.1 to a 3.8. Yeah. Um, I was able to get through a doctorate program. Um, I won't tell you my numbers, but I got through a doctorate yeah, program doctor, through training. Um, so I think that there's a lost, I'll, I'll say a benefit to um, you know, training on a cognitive side as well and just being a little bit more disciplined in your studies and, you know, remembering that even if you are a student athlete, the student piece comes first. Yeah, so I remember, uh, you know, the old saying, success breeds success is incredibly important. And like we talked about before, the success you have in the weight room breeds success in all aspects of your life. Um, there is a, a huge correlation between, between positive grades and whether the athletes even like train like tr athletes training here so i remember when i was in northern virginia i was in northern virginia managed a couple of uh, facilities out there um, before i came here and it was a very like affluent area a lot of successful people 
And I remember like going to all the kids and like, hey, what's your GPA? What's your GPA? I'm just curious. I'm like, four one, four three, four six. I'm like, what the heck? How do you get a four six? <laughs> um, and they all like, I would say like out of those facilities, our average GPA was probably like a three eight or higher. Um, and I thought you know a lot of it might have just been the pa- the parents out there. You know, a lot of software, a lot of tech people. I mean, you don't live out there and live well out there unless you're you're successful. Um, and then I came out here, and Salisbury is, it's a nice area, don't get me wrong, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the, it's just not the same as Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia is, you know, the Silicon Valley, the East Coast. It's a totally different entity. There's that, and then there's the actual Silicon Valley. Those are only, like, comparables. And it's the same thing. The kids that train here get good grades. They take their, their, their responsibility seriously. Is that a coincidence? I, I really don't think so. Yeah. Right. I mean, with training, you are accepting ownership for your own development. And I mean, I think that would carry over perfectly to school. You can't just, you know, play the blame game and say, well, I'm not where I want to be because of the teacher or because of my parents or because, you know, my tutor didn't go over this or whatever. Like you're owning your own situation as an athlete by taking charge of your training. And I think that ownership carries over into all other areas of life, whether it's studies or whatever. And, you know, kind of like you mentioned yourself, I think that if you want to make it onto the next level in college, especially like you can't make it into a college sports program with a one five GPA. Like you need to keep your grades up if you want to make it to the next level. And, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of if it's JUCO, D3, D2, D1, whatever, only 7% of athletes actually make it to that level. Mm -hmm. So just to be able to say you made it, you are in a very elite group of individuals. I mean, especially when 93% of athletes won't be in your shoes at any point. Yep. You know, the quote, uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. You know, it rings true. If you if you don't put effort into this aspect of your life, it's gonna bleed over into this other aspect of your life. You know whether you take sports performance in it or out. You know if you don't take your school seriously, relationships are gonna suffer. You know your your whatever you're doing on your on the side is gonna suffer. Right. Um, so. Right, and it just amazes me too how many I would say you you kind of alluded to it when you brought up Silicon Valley, but how many high earn Silicon Silicon? I don't know. I like, maybe I'm the idiot. <laughs> But, you know, there's so many executives and CEOs and high-earning individuals that I've talked with that all share this background of sports and athletics, right? Like, Jimmy St. Louis has started multiple companies, and he played in the NFL. Chris Gronkowski is the CEO of a multi-million dollar company in Ice Shaker. I mean, they won an investment on Shark Tank, and he was an NFL player. And you don't have to make it to the NFL to succeed in business, right? Um, we just worked with a guy who uh, was on Shark Tank and won a $200,000 investment. And, you know, that kind of thing doesn't just happen to anyone. And they all have this commonality of they did something physically active in their life, whether it was running or lifting or football or whatever. There was some form of sports team-related activity and just some type of training program that they committed to for the long haul. And I think that's the last piece we really haven't touched on yet, Ryan. It's just the commitment that this requires, right? You can't show up to the Athlete Academy and expect to, you know, quote-unquote make it in a month or two months' time. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to continue to show up day after day, month after month, even year after year yeah. in order to continue to develop and continue to become where you want to be. It's not a it's not a short-term lease here. You have to mm-hmm. commit to it for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah, training is always a long-term process. You know, 
I can count on one hand the amount of athletes I've worked with that, you know, they come in once or twice a week for three months and then wonder why they haven't gotten any better and then you never see them again. Because um, a lot of athletes aren't ready for that commitment. You know, I tell parents when they sit down on time, I have a serious conversation with their kid and I'm like, look, we're a premium training service. You know, we're all professionals in here. We're not just, a, you know, the Planet Fitness. <laughs> uh, nothing against Planet Fitness. Changed my life. Um, there's a place for everybody. But I was like, you know, you're going to come in and you've got to commit because you're going to have a great time for the first month. And I always tell the kids, I'm like, look, I like to have, we have fun here. But it's a different kind of fun. You know, when you train and you fall in love with training, you fall in love with the, the, the power you get after your session. Right, you don't fall in love with it before. You know how many times you go to work out and you're just like, man, I really don't feel like training today. I really don't feel like training today. But then when you leave, you feel like a million bucks, right? Uh, and I tell the parents, I'm like, you're, you're, and I tell the kid, they're right there, I'm as transparent as possible, because I want people that are all in, and I want people to be fully, I want people to be aware of the process. And I'm like, the first month's gonna be great. After that, it's gonna be a commitment. That's where the commitment comes in, because you're gonna have fun, but there's gonna be days where you don't want to come in. It's just natural. No matter what training program you're on, there's going to be days where it's just like work, right? You might love what you do, but there's days you don't want to go in. And I'm like, that's what's going to separate you is you have to make sure you're putting a consistent effort in to come in two to three times a week for the next three months, six months, 12 months, because that's when the, the real results are going to happen. And you got to be able to put it aside and, and make it a business decision. You got to turn pro and you got to be able to walk in these doors and you got to be able to put the work in whether you feel like it or not. Consistency is the number one training variable. Consistency over time is the number one training variable that leads to success. Right, right. You have to fall in love with the process, as they say, mostly cliche. Um, there was an analogy from Jocko Willink that I think illustrated that perfectly. He was talking about the myth of Sisyphus, uh, which if you're not familiar, Sisyphus is this individual in Greek mythology, I believe, who was punished to push a boulder up a hill and every time he got it to the top, the boulder would roll back down and he would have to start over again. And, you know, as Jocko was talking, he was saying, you know, what if that rock stopped? What if the rock stayed at the top? Eventually, you'd probably get bored, push it back down and do it again. And as a result, it's just a great analogy for you fall in love with the process of getting the rock to the top of the mountain. You fall in love with the process of improving yourself because having the rock sit at top of the at the top of the hill and you just being there bored out of your mind is not actually going to improve your situation. Mm -hmm. But going through the difficult thing, pushing the stone up the hill day after day, over and over again, that's what makes you stronger and more resilient and more powerful and impactful in everything you do, not the inaction of sitting on top of the hill claiming you're already victorious when in reality you might not have proved anything yet yeah ryan as we start to wrap up here i think we've had a great discussion covering everything from the mental benefits to training to the emotional benefits the cognitive benefits and just really painting a picture overall for developing a complete athlete and not just looking at training as another physical agent do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything else you want to share with those listening today? Honestly, I think I think we covered it pretty good there um, within like that that realm. Obviously, um, I'm still you know I feel like the whole time I'm saying like the training doesn't matter. The training 100% matters, um, but it's just making sure you're having modalities that are simple and transfer over to the sport. Like you know at the athlete academy here, um, we try to stay away from like the flashy Instagram stuff. You know we realize that. 
Um, what we're trying to do is, is have the, uh, a training program that's going to have the best efficiency to transfer over to the field. And that's what we try to do, have them move better, have them stronger, have them more powerful, have them more confidence. We talked about the mental benefits. Um, push, pull, hinge, jump. Um, those are all incredibly important things, and they definitely shouldn't take a backseat in your program. You should definitely still look at, take it seriously, make sure you're putting a program out that's going to serve that athlete to their best. But also take in mind all the stresses that they face on a, on a daily basis. Take into account the benefits that you're going to give that are going to be more beneficial than sport. Um, and then also take your ego, put it in check, and realize that you play a far smaller role in their athletic development than you think you do. No matter if you're the best strength coach in the world or the worst strength coach in the world, um, the great athletes are going to be great athletes. The terrible athletes are going to be terrible athletes. You can play a factor in helping them reach the – I always say an athlete comes in. I never say, hey, I'm going to make you a better athlete. What I'm going to help you do is reach your physical ceiling. Where that is, I have no clue. I'm going to help you reach it. It might be – you might have tons of room for improvement. You might not have any at all. But I'm going to help you find it, right? Um, but realize that in a holistic training program, there's so many different factors that the training program itself, make sure you're checking your boxes, but make sure you're training those athletes hard, making sure they're coming out of here with growth in so many different aspects that they're prepared for anything. They're not, you're not just thinking X's and O's and thinking that this program you put together with just the right plyo, um, <laughs> plyo volume and it's going to make a huge difference because it's not mm -hmm. and realize the difference you can if you, once you realize you can make such a big difference beyond that you're going to be so much more powerful and empower as a coach well that and how often does your textbook perfect program actually hold up in real life because someone gets sick or someone sore after practice and misses a session right you have to be fluid and adapt to the needs of the athlete and that's one of the things I think you do such a phenomenal job with here is you actually listen to your athletes, you actually care about your athletes, and you're not just going to push them through a program because that's what you had written down for the day when they might not be in a spot that day to do it. Full disclosure of this program, I'm not the smartest dude in the world. <laughs> you know, as you can tell by my 2.1, so I don't mean to come off here and be preachy and be this and that. Like I make plenty of mistakes in my life. I, you know, There's certain times where I have priorities that don't, I, you know, I mess up on certain my uh, priority management. But I always tell our coaches coming in that the number one separator between a good coach and a great coach is the ability to relate to that athlete, to put a different hat on, and to be able to get the most out of that athlete for that day, for that session. The program, uh, I think I got this one from Joe Kenner, Buddy Morris. You know, programs are always written in pencil, not in pen. The optimal program for that athlete is not always good. It never is the program that you have written down. You always are going to have to make adjustments to be better for that athlete, to be able to relate to that athlete, get to know that athlete, figure out where you're going to be able to push them that day um, truly makes the biggest difference. Definitely. Ryan, as we've talked about the Athlete Academy quite a bit, I'm sure there's someone listening anyways who wants to find out more about it. Where can they find you and the Athlete Academy at online? Uh, so you can go to uh, athleteacademymd.com. That's our website. Email or our Instagram is Athlete Academy MD. Um, I'm not a big social media guy, so you won't find me personally on social media. But uh, I'm all about the brand, so you can go on our Instagram there. If you anyone needs to get a hold of me directly, I'm sure Dan can put it in show notes, or I can give it to you my personal email address. 
Um, but if anyone has any questions or wants to talk shop, um, you can reach out to me at any time. We can set something up. Yeah, and they should definitely set up a time to come see the facility, if or, nothing else. I mean, this is world-class stuff yeah, right here. Yeah, we, uh, we have a vision here that we're tired of people going across the bridge to get the, the, a world-class, to think that they have to go to a world-class training environment. Um, so we're trying to bring everything that they need right here on the Eastern Shore, and we're trying to have the most badass facility uh, <laughs> on the East Coast. Right here, man, we want people to be wondering who these freaks coming out of this small farmland of the Eastern Shore of Maryland are. I love it. I love it, Ryan. We'll link to all that good stuff in the show notes below. Ryan, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks again for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.